Our gospel lesson this morning is from the 13th chapter of Luke, and it's one of those passages of Scripture that simply must be read and understood within the larger context. See, in this part of Luke's gospel, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. And on the way, he is preaching and teaching in the towns and villages, and he's explaining to all who have ears to hear the way to reach God. If you have your Bible with you this morning, if you'll open it up to Luke 13, no matter what version it is, and follow along, I'll be reading from the message this morning. Beginning in verse 18, Luke says, Then Jesus said, How can I picture God's kingdom for you? What kind of story can I use? It's like a pine nut that a man plants in his front yard. It grows into a huge pine tree with thick branches and eagles build nests in it. See, Jesus is saying that from the small, unassuming seed of truth, a much greater increase is produced. The kingdom of God starts with a tiny seed planted within each believer, which grows into a big, strong tree of faith, capable of sustaining and supporting Many others who see it and flock to it like birds. And they make their home in it because of the safety and the satisfaction that it offers. Now when it appeared that not everyone had understood that first parable, Jesus says, How can I picture God's kingdom? It's like yeast that a woman works into enough dough for three loaves of bread and waits while the dough rises. See, the people were expecting that the kingdom of God would come from without by some external force and establish itself like earthly kingdoms do through violence and conquest. But Jesus was telling them that the kingdom of God would come from within, establishing itself silently, growing little by little like yeast, leavening the dough, changing it from the inside out. A little yeast, a little truth going a long way and eventually leavening the entire loaf. So Luke continues in verse 22. He went on teaching from town to village, village to town, but keeping on a steady course toward Jerusalem. Now unofficially, this is affirmation that Jesus was a Methodist. Not just, not just itinerant, traveling from village to village and town to town, but an itinerant preacher traveling Methodist preacher like Wesley and Asbury. Now, I'm kidding, of course. But in truth, we see that the emphasis here is that Jesus was on a mission. 
as it says, on a steady course to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city where he would eventually be received as Messiah. Riding in triumphantly on the back of a donkey, palm branches laid out in front of him. Jerusalem, the city where he would then be rejected, unjustly tried and convicted, humiliated, scourged, crucified, dying on the cross for us. Jerusalem, where he would be entombed, and then three days later blast the stone door away and emerge victorious, risen from the dead. Jerusalem, the city that will one day be transformed into the seat of power for Christ's reign as king over all the earth when he returns in his glory with all the saints that have gone before. Jerusalem. Luke continues in verse 23. says, A bystander said, Master, will only a few be saved? He said, Whether few or many is none of your business. Put your mind on your life with God. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires your total attention. A lot of you are going to assume that you'll sit down to God's salvation banquet just because you've been hanging around the neighborhood all your lives. Well, one day you're going to be banging on the door wanting to get in, but you'll find the door locked and the master saying, Sorry, you're not on my guest list. And you'll protest, but we've known you all our lives, only to be interrupted with his abrupt, your kind of knowing can hardly be called knowing. You don't know the first thing about me. That's when you'll find yourselves out in the cold, strangers to grace. You'll watch Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets march into God's kingdom. You'll watch outsiders stream in from east, west, north, and south and sit down at the table of God's kingdom. And all the time you'll be outside looking in and wondering what happened. This is the great reversal the last in line put at the head of the line, and the so-called first ending up last. Well, Luke, that's an eye-opener. He's saying we shouldn't spend time worrying about whether the Baptists have it right or wrong with full immersion baptism. Or whether there's pre-selection of the saved like the Calvinists claim. Or countless other ways that we segment ourselves as Christians. No, Jesus tells us that we should put our mind on our own life with God. We must pay attention to what God is telling us in His Word and then apply it in our lives. 
Jesus is telling us that getting through the narrow gate that leads to eternal life with Him is rigorous. It requires discipline. It requires that we stay focused on who Jesus is and who we are in Him. It's not enough to go through the motions. It's not enough to sit in the pew on Sunday and act like a Christian if your heart is not in it. It's not enough to profess to be a Christian on Sunday and then act like something else the rest of the week. That's hard to hear. I want to pause here for a moment to tell you a story of a deacon, a deacon in a large church in New Hampshire. His name was Deacon Estes. He was a likable man, and he spent much of his adult life in the church. He attended regularly on Sunday and arrived early enough each week to spend time around the coffee bar with his friends, talking about the big game, making plans for a golf outing, and he liked going to church. It was a great place to see his friends and make business connections, and it filled some of the time that he used to spend going to church with his late wife. As the hour approached for church to begin, he'd put on his deacon's badge and he'd take his place at the door to the sanctuary, passing out bulletins and shaking hands. And then when the music started, he'd dutifully close the doors to the sanctuary and take his usual spot, third row down on the right-hand side. Nobody ever took Deacon Estes' spot. Everyone knew that was where Deacon Estes always sat. And as the pastor preached, Deacon Estes would routinely look at his watch, think about the game schedule, recall who was playing who, what their ranking was, what time was kickoff. Deacon Estes knew that if the pastor said the final amen of the sermon at 11.40, he'd have plenty of time to make his way home to see the pregame show. Now, one Sunday in particular, the pastor was a bit long-winded. That never happens here, does it? There's a little conviction. As 11.40 came and went, the pastor didn't appear to be wrapping up the sermon at all, but instead started talking about Jesus being your personal Savior. Personal Savior, Deacon Estes thought to himself. What does he mean by that? Isn't he everyone's Savior? As 11.45 ticked by on Deacon Estes' watch, the pastor began to invite people to the rail to pray and accept Jesus. For crying out loud, Deacon Estes thought, people are actually going to the rail. This could take a while. By the time 11.55 ticked by, Deacon Estes had had enough. He quietly got up made his way to the back of the church, dropped his deacon's badge in the basket, and slipped away to the parking lot to drive home to catch the pregame show that he was certain would have already started by the time he got there, thanks to that long-winded pastor and those people who found it necessary to take up so much time 
going to the rail for whatever reason. Personal savior, he muttered. Nonsense. And Deacon Estes sat in church Sunday after Sunday thinking about everything but was being preached from the Word. He never cracked the Bible on his own initiative, never attended even one of the church's many classes or Bible studies, never prayed, never entered into a relationship with Jesus at all. He looked like a Christian. He spoke Christianese like a Christian. He went to church like a Christian, but really never put any heart, any effort, any thought into actually being a disciple of Jesus. And so sadly on that day when Deacon Estes passed from this life, despite the trappings of a Christian funeral and burial and the engraving of a cross on his headstone, when Deacon Estes stood before Jesus that day, Jesus sent him away saying, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so we come to today's scripture reading that Bobby read for us. Where Jesus, as he wraps up his talk about reaching God, is interrupted by some Pharisees. And we pick up the text at verse 31. Just then, some Pharisees came up and said, Run for your life. Herod's on the hunt. He's out to kill you. Jesus said, Tell that fox that I've no time for him right now. Today and tomorrow, I'm busy clearing out the demons and healing the sick. The third day, I'm wrapping things up. Besides, it's not proper for a prophet to come to a bad end outside Jerusalem. And then Jesus laments. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Killer of prophets. Abuser of the messengers of God. How often I've longed to gather your children. Gather your children like a hen. Her brood safe under her wings. But you refused and turned away. And now it's too late. You won't see me again until the day you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of God. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus laments. A whole nation of people who didn't know enough to approach the rail and accept him as their personal Savior. An entire nation of people who, like Deacon Estes, had better things to do than actually give themselves in worship to their God. They went through all the motions. But when presented with anything of truth and substance, they rejected it. They drove it away. They killed it. An entire nation of people who, when they finally realize who Jesus is, will have missed the boat and the opportunity for salvation. These days, it's hard to tell whether or not this word is speaking about Israel or is it speaking about home. 
Are we a people concerned about the clock on the wall every Sunday and blissfully ignorant of who we are in Christ? When the invitation comes to approach the rail and accept, and accept Jesus, will we be found headed for the parking lot? Are we consumed with other activities rather than focusing our attention on getting through that narrow gate that leads to God? Beloved, this Lenten season, I challenge you to examine your heart and really take stock of where you are with Jesus. Because, and you've heard me say it, what you do with Jesus determines where you spend eternity. You will live forever. The question is, where will your home be? Will it be in Jerusalem? Or will Jesus lament? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I have longed to gather your children. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.